As we stand in this room today, we open together the word of the Lord to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Today's text is Matthew 5, verse 8. Would you hear the word of the Lord read? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that we remember it, let's say it together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's pray. Our good and our holy Lord, we thank you so much for this Lord's day. We thank you for this Sunday morning. We thank you for a chance to sing and to greet, to welcome, to be welcomed. We thank you for a chance to pray and to give. We thank you for music. We thank you for silence. We thank you, Lord, that you have promised us that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. We thank you that you've promised as we gather in your name that you are present. We thank you, Lord, that you do your work among us. We thank you for your grace. And God, we thank you for your word, and we confess openly and humbly and boldly that we need a word from you, Lord. We desire that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take the words of Scripture and make a word for us for the living of this day and this week. We want to hear from you, God. Therefore, we come to you and ask you to give us eyes to see clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. We ask you, Lord, to take our hearts and, and, and make them fertile like rich soil, that your word would be like a seed planted that would bring forth life and fruit. We pray, God, that you would give us feet to walk quickly to do your will, that you would strengthen our frame, that our work in this world would be like your very own. And God, we pray that a word of hope and life and love, a gospel word would be found this week on our lips. This is our prayer in the beautiful, the holy, the matchless name of Jesus. And we pray together saying, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. I would like to start today with a solemn confession. And typically people get nervous when their pastor starts off like that. Some of you will think more highly of me after this confession. And some of you will be greatly disappointed in me. Uh, but I would like to start today confessionally. And this is my confession for this Sunday morning. I have seen every single episode of The Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> most, of, most of the episodes I've seen more than one time. Uh, a few years ago, it, it became controversial. But there was even a Bible study series based on The Andy Griffith Show. <laughs> that you could buy at the Christian bookstore. And, and I, I confess to you openly, I even took part in the controversial, it came out of a Church of Christ church, the controversial Bible study from the Andy Griffith Show. I just love the Andy Griffith Show. I just do. Uh, it, it's sort of, they're sort of like my therapist. I mean, they, they, they help me work out my stuff, you know. I just love the Andy Griffith Show. And, uh, and when I read this passage of Scripture, casually, like when I'm just reading through the Bible, it's just a pleasure reading of the Bible, and I hear the words pure in heart, I sort of gravitate toward an image of the pure in heart uh, based on the character Howard Sprague. And it's wrong. Let me explain Howard Sprague to you, those of you who are not initiated into the, to the world of Andy Griffith. Uh, Howard Sprague came about in the latter days 
of The Andy Griffith Show when The Andy Griffith Show turned into Technicolor. Now, now for purists like me, uh, the, the real power of The Andy Griffith Show was in the black and white days. Uh, but, it, but when, I mean, I'm serious. But when Technicolor started, there, there were some new characters that were introduced uh, to, to Technicolor. And one of those characters was a guy named Howard. And, and Howard Sprague was a civic leader. I mean, Howard Sprague was the most fastidious man. Howard Sprague had an absolutely perfect body mass index. I mean, not one pound over the line, not one pound under. He, he was perfect. Howard Sprague had a, a perfectly clipped hair. He kept Floyd the Barber in business because he was just there all the time. His shoes were shined. His clothes were, were clean and pressed and tight. He followed uh, just almost without flinching the overbearing guidance of a mother who, like God, loved him and had a plan for his life. He, he, he just did what mama wanted, you know. Howard, Howard was the guy who had life buttoned down, tied down. He was neat as a pin, clean as a whistle. You get the picture. How many of you know Howard Sprague in this world? Don't point at anybody in this room. That, that would be rude. It would be hilarious, but it would be rude. <laughs> don't, don't do it. And so when I casually read the Bible, sometimes when I think of this, who are the pure in heart? I start thinking, well, maybe they're like the Howard Spreggs we know. The people who don't have anything unsullied or unsoiled or out of place. The people who are always on time. The people who follow all the rules, even the really dumb rules in society. That's who the pure in heart are. And that comes from a misconception, I think, and it comes from a casual reading, and it comes from a lot of cultural pressures, because I think Jesus had something much deeper and wider and richer and more beautiful than just having life buttoned down. Years ago, there was a writer named David Foster Wallace and he was giving a, a talk, and, and he said this. He said, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. The realest, most vivid, and important person in existence. What separates Wallace from most of us is that he was honest enough to own it. But the water we swim in helps us to think that we indeed are the hero of the story. And so when we think we're the hero of the story, we immediately think the pure in heart are the ones that get it right. They check all the boxes just perfectly. They're the people who can do things heroically that other people can't do without God on their own terms. And you see, Jesus wasn't trafficking in how to live a good life without God. Jesus was declaring the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And so the pure in heart aren't the ones that have the, the neat haircut and show up on time 
There's something totally different in the mind of Jesus because Jesus was coming into that world that says you can have it on your own in your own terms. You can, your successes are yours. You're the hero of your story. He comes into that fallen world of we're the hero of our own story and he offers a blessed disruption to that. Jesus is God turning to us in love and revealing God. He is God tabernacling in the flesh. He is the one who declares the wonders of the king and the way of the kingdom. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is addressing a group of people who have made a a move toward him. They've begun to follow him. They've become his disciples. And Jesus says, congratulations. Congratulations, blessed. Blessed are you who, who have come to me for this and this and this. And here he comes and he says, congratulations, blessed are you who are pure in heart, for you will see God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer's very favorite, famous book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, was originally titled simply, Following, Following. Jesus shows up as, as the king, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, and he says to people, follow me. And he says to those who follow, blessed. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, friends, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is some type of divine ophthalmologist. And if we follow God, we're just going to see crystal clear. 2020, everybody's 2020 vision or better. Ted Williams said better than 2020 vision. No. That image of seeing God, is, it's like out of the Psalms, printed in your worship, God. Uh, it, 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 means, it, it means those whose heart is pure. They will have an audience with the king. They will be able to enter into the very presence of of the king. And and they will know the king. And they will know the ways of the kingdom. And they will be shared the secrets. And the king will say, I have this for you and that for you. And I want you to go and, and I am sending you. And the king will say every time he sends, but listen to this. I'm going too. I'm sending you, but, but you're following me. So let's go do it. And that's how life is lived. With a simple, singular, heartfelt commitment to spend my life following King Jesus. To be pure in heart is to have a simple devotion to King Jesus. Jesus. It's not about your heroism. It's about his. And it's about his wild and wonderful invitation to enter the kingdom that he says is at hand. It's right here. And to have all the issues of life integrated into that one beautiful thing. The pure in heart are those who simply follow Christ. He calls us to seek what? First, the kingdom of God. And those that seek first the kingdom have a pure heart. And those with a pure heart live in the the close proximity to the king. Those whose heart is turned toward the king, follow the way of the kingdom. 
see him at work and know him. Today is weekend. It's a busy weekend across America. I mean, Hallmark's making money, money, money. The, the florists are overcoming their deficits. This weekend is Valentine's, glued to the Super Bowl. That means you can't buy a tulip or a chicken wing anywhere in McLennan County. <laughs> you've got plans today. You've got plans tomorrow. There's just stuff going on all weekend long. You're probably sitting here thinking, I, I forgot about this. I, I don't. And, and I, how many of you have already started a grocery list? Go ahead and confess. There's a bunch of liars in this room. <laughs> a bunch of liars. Uh, thank you for your honesty. Much appreciated. So, so it's a big crowded weekend. So for just a few moments, I, I want to, with this spirit of the pure in heart, see God, I want to just exalt how awesome it is to live in the close proximity of God, to have a life that's touched by his life, and offer you a, a couple of reasons to follow Christ. A couple of reasons to, to jump back into that flow. A couple of reasons to seek the kingdom. Uh, and because it's a cluttered weekend and because I have to work through your grocery list, I'm going to do something I don't often do. I'm going to give you a little alliterated uh, lines, okay? So today I'm going to give you three eyes. We follow Jesus because these are so simple, friends, but they're so deep. We follow Jesus because he's important, he's interesting. And he's interested. He's important. He's, he's interesting. And, and he's interested. First, we follow King Jesus because he is important. Philosopher Charles Taylor said, we, we come here to one of the most basic aspirations of human beings. The need to be connected to or in contact with, with what we see as good or of crucial importance. Or a fundamental value. Taylor says, in everyone's heart, there is this drive, there is this human hunger to be connected to something that really matters, to, to, to something of value, to something of crucial importance. He said, that, as part of the human experience, to have somewhere this hunger to, to connect with something that matters, something of ultimate concern. And even those who don't accept that there is such a possibility of an overarching ultimate concern, even those who very carefully say there's no such thing as, as a true story, a, a meta narrative that describes all of life, even those who push that aside have to figure out how to live in this world as if there was something of ultimate concern, something of deep and rich and meaningful value. Years ago, there was a philosopher named Camus. And Camus was struggling with the deep questions of life. And for him, it came down to the most fundamental question, why should I stay alive? He said he was faced with, should I have another cup of coffee or should I end my life? And he said, suicide is the, is the only real philosophical question. And he was completely together. It's not a mental health matter. This was a philosophical reason, purpose of life, matter for him. He says, this is the only question I've got. 
And he had already accepted that all of the answers that had been given in this world to why, where we've come from, where we're going, all those things. He, he had he'd said all of these things are faulty. He had accepted the notion that life really is just absurd. He said, but if his life is absurd, how do, how do we live in it? If, if we're here and we have the weight of existence on us, how do we live in this world? And he went back to that old story of Sisyphus. Remember that poor Greek lad trapped in a Greek version of hell? Well, Sisyphus is there, and he's got one thing to do. He rolls a boulder all day long to the top of the hill, all day long. He works, and he sweats, and he suffers, and he toils. Every single day, he takes his shoulder, and he puts it to that stone, and he rolls it to the top of the hill. And every evening, it rolls back down again. And he starts over. And he rolls it to the top. And it rolls down again. And he rolls it to the top. And it rolls down again. It's real effort. And it's absurd. And Camus said the most, most curious thing. He said we must, we can, we've got to Think of Sisyphus as happy. That somehow, someway, he's befriended that stone, and in the midst of absurdity, he has made and created meaning. And everywhere you turn, everywhere you look, all the voices you hear, you see version after version after version of that. People crafting and recrafting and presenting themselves in the world, believing that if it's going to be, it's up to me. I mean, they're stuck pushing that rock, but they make friends with that rock, just trying to make sense out of it. If all is absurd, that's a good way to go about it. And I would be the first to say we should. And I hope against hope that I would give it an honest try. If that was the true story of the world, that'd be a good way to do it. But here's, here's the deal, friends. That's not the true story of the world. It's not. Although it feels like it and looks like it from time to time, and more often than that, it's not the true story. Jesus the Christ is the true story of the world. Jesus is the true story. And he sat on that mountain as a teacher and he looked his students in the eyes and he says, congratulations. Congratulations. The kingdom of God is at hand. So close you can touch it. Enter into the kingdom. Follow me. We all hunger for something of crucial importance. And the cross stands in the center of history, declaring that which is ultimate. And his name is Jesus. And the pure in heart are those that have accepted that as the true story of the world. 
and say, I don't push a rock, I stand on the rock. I don't roll the stone. The stone was rolled away to illustrate to all the world that he is not dead, he is yet alive. He is my story and he is my hero. The pure in heart follow and they see God. Why should we follow Jesus? Because he's important. He's also interesting. I mean, we need to worship Jesus, but we really ought to admire him too. I mean, just think he's wonderful and cool. And Jesus is the most interesting person in the world. He's fascinating and beautiful and wonderful. He really, really, really is. And we, we follow him because he's not only important and of ultimate concern, but friends, simply because he is interesting. We live in a very distracted time. And we are trained. We are trained by our overlords to chase every shiny object. Squirrel! Squirrel! And every time we look for the squirrel, somebody gets paid. They do. We are so distracted that we have a deep need in this current moment to be distracted from our distractions. How many of you know what the wordle word of the day is? Don't tell your neighbors, they'll kill you. I know what it is. I know what it is. What is an online game? It's a distraction from our distractions. We are so distracted. There's so many voices, so much noise, so much clutter, so much stuff. And our brains are being trained. And we're getting dumber even as we're getting smarter. And into this distracted world, the blessed interruption comes. And his mercies are new every morning. Fresh every day. He is glorious to behold. Not only is he important, but he is interesting. And when we daily read our Bibles and when we weekly worship our Lord, we're confronted again and again and again at the one who is ultimately interesting. Just the images, if we savored them in our hearts, we would be captivated by him more so than anything else. Listen to just a couple of images. These come from Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in 21. We were called because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. Who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and the bishop of your souls. Those disciples who heard Jesus, they said together, he is the shepherd of our souls. He is the king and he is the slave. And he is the shepherd. And then you keep reading in the Bible and the shepherd is the lamb. 
the slain and risen lamb. And in Revelation 14, 4, it said this crazy thing about those who are the redeemed. It says, they followed the lamb wherever he went. This is a picture of being pure in spirit and seeing God. It's following the lamb wherever the lamb goes. Listen, if you want something interesting to, to behold, a slain and resurrected lamb that is the incarnate son of God, who is from the past and the future at the same time, who is eternal, who is the alpha and the omega, who is the Lord, that should be captivating. And it is. And this ultimately interesting one says to us, Bored humans, wordle aficionados, come and follow me. Come with me. He's important. He's interesting. And get this. He's interesting. You may say, okay, I, okay, Matt, I, I, I'm with you. Jesus Christ is important. We, we, I agree to that. And yes, I believe he is interesting. But man, I got, I got stuff to do. I've got a payroll to meet. I've got a family to educate. I got stuff going on. If I follow this lamb wherever he goes, what about this life of mine? What about, what about these things? Where will he lead me? I mean, since I was a little kid, they've been telling me he'd lead me to Sunday school. Will he lead me anywhere else? Some of you may wonder in the heart of hearts, okay, you've been gone a long time maybe from church. You think, okay, if I really boldly start following Christ, is he going to take me anywhere else than Sunday school? Well, I love Sunday school, and I think God does too. But the answer is Yes. Because he is interested in life. He is the God of life and he is the God of people. And in the Bible we have this wonderful, delightful notion that God, as he shares with us his life, he pushes us into the world as we live life with him. Alan Noble says there's this great double movement and you see it in the Sermon on the Mount where we're called to let our light shine before men that they may see our good deeds and glorify our God which is in heaven. There's this movement of light into our lives and this light shines out and the people see our lives and in seeing them as they're lived with God, they see God. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. What are these things, these, these matters and concerns of life? He is not uninterested in you and your things. But if you and your things and your concerns are going to be in their proper place, they're going to have to be add-ons to life lived with him. And when they are, life is whole and holy and integrated. But when they're our ultimate concerns, they just become barking idols that will disappoint us at every turn. He is interested in us, and he's interested 
and our light shining before men. He doesn't want us to follow him straight into his good future without any concern for the gritty living of these days. He is world affirming and world blessing. And he is ultimately interested in us. There's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful scene in Matthew chapter 6. When you get into Matthew chapter 6, you come down and you read this. Jesus was talking about the light and he was talking about the kingdom and he was talking about his interest in the matters of the world and how we are to relate to them as we relate to him. And this is the image he gave us in verses 22 to 24. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is single, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, the whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. He starts talking about the application of this principle of being pure in heart. And he starts meddling in our affairs. He starts talking about our worries and our anxieties and our pursuit of wealth, which we think will alleviate our worries and our anxieties. And he says, listen, listen, listen. He says, your heart has got to have the right treasure in it. To be pure in heart is to have a heart full of the treasure that is Jesus and his kingdom. And he says, if that, if that heart is full of Jesus, then, then the light will come out of your eyes. Light will come out of your very body. And your life will be lived to the glory of God. And people will see that like a city on a hill. He said, but if your heart is divided... If it's not pure, the light won't come out. And how dark will that darkness be? My friend Dale Connolly, as a hobby, refurbishes old Coleman lanterns. This one's from the 1930s. Isn't that, isn't it beautiful? It's great. And you know, uh, lantern technology hasn't really changed at all since lanterns. I mean, it's the simplest thing. You have, you have a reservoir that holds the fuel deep down at the bottom. Those little clay lamps you've seen, the little oil lamps, it's just a reservoir for the fuel and a way for that light to get out, a wick or a mantle. Lamp technology hasn't changed since the days of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're a lamp. You're a lamp. And if what's deep inside of you is right, then the light can come out and bless others. And they'll see God in you, the pure sea by the light. But if it's empty, there's no light. 
And if it's mixed, if I say, oh, well, I'm about down to three quarters, I'll just fill the rest with water or my leftover coffee. I tried it once after a long, bad camp out. Didn't work. If it's not there or if it's muddled, no light. But if on the inside, the treasure is Jesus, then coming out is the light of Christ. And people see God. And we see God in the living of our days. Do you want to see God? It's a strange question. In this day, a lot of people even who come to church won't even honestly answer that affirmatively. Now, I'd really like seven tips to a better friendship. Help me balance a bank account. Help me drop a few pounds. You've come to the wrong place. Do you want to see God? Jesus says this is how you do it. He says, I've come offering the kingdom of heaven. Follow me. To please God, Scripture says we must believe that he is and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In your mind, do you accept that he is? In your heart, will you earnestly seek him? Meaning, I want to live what God wants me to live today and tomorrow and the next. I believe that he is, and I want to follow him. If that's your heart, then by God's grace, your heart is pure. He will not hide from you. You will see him. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for a chance to worship. We thank you that you are who you are. We're grateful that you do what you do. And we pray, Lord, as we sing this song, this final song, we call this song of commitment. Our prayer, Lord, is for, is for fresh commitments all across this room. For those who are listening in and watching online and by television. Lord, our prayer is that we will make fresh commitments. In doing so, we're seeking, we're following as you actively lead us in our life. Lord, we all will answer the question of what is the next step differently. For, for some of us, it's to bring a, a, a known and a, and a nagging uh, sin to you, one we've cherished. For some of us, it will be to lay that down in repentance. For some, Lord, it's perhaps to join this church. For some, it might be to be baptized. For some, it's, it's just a commitment to keep thinking about these things. For some, it's to say to someone they love, I'm sorry. Lord, you lead us in so many wonderful ways. We pray by your Holy Spirit that as we sing, you would, you would create an altar in our hearts and that we would all take that little step.
we follow you, the true and living God. We thank you for loving us, Lord. And because of that, we can say we love you. And because of that, we can follow. And because of that, we can stand and sing. And Lord, we do that now for your glory and for our good. Friends, let's stand and let's sing together to the Lord.